Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. circling around Meredith Bell and her partner, Denny Coates, for, gosh, it's got to be seven years now. Uh, Meredith is an expert in leader and team communication. She wrote the book, uh, Strong for Performance, Create a Culture with Learning and Development Programs that Stick, and co-author of Connect with Your Team, Mastering the Top 10 Communication Skills. They're both released recently in 2020. Her software company's tools guide people to make the shift from knowing to doing, because Meredith's and her two partners' fierce commitment is to service excellence. Many clients have done business with her company for over 20 years because they keep sort of, they're, they're the people that these organizations rely on to keep their staff growing and elevating their own emotional intelligence and connection with each other. So they've kind of become embedded in the fabric of the organizations they work with. And she's kind. And I'd like to have folks that um, have been doing this work for a long, long time, not just the young, young uh, up-and-comers. Meredith is a veteran that's been really doing this a long, long time. And I'd like to hear what she has seen has changed over time. I thought that was a really interesting part of our dialogue. And there's some really good points for all of us to take away, to bring back to our listening. So really, buckle up. This would be another one to get out of pen and take some notes. I certainly did. So, Meredith Bell from Grow Strong Leaders. Meredith Bell, welcome to the Sidewalk Talk podcast. I'm so excited to get to meet. Already, I can tell we're kindred spirits. Yes. (laughs) Some of the things that you said before. (laughs) When, when you invited me to, you know, be a guest here and I read what you're doing, your purpose, I just immediately, you know, had this strong intuitive hit. Yes, of course, I want to be in a conversation with you. I love the way you just said that, too. I want to know a little bit about you and your life, because as I've like cased you out on the Internet, you're somebody that seems devoted to connection and communication in the workplace. But how did that all begin? Tell us a little bit about who you are that led to that. Well, initially, I had wanted to be a teacher and pursued that and realized that I really didn't want to be teaching the same lesson plans year after year. That wasn't very fulfilling. So I got my master's and moved into uh, administration, you know, central office work, and realized then that I didn't do bureaucracy or politics very well. So I ended up going out on my own. And, and my favorite thing that I had been doing in most recent times was working with the teachers and helping them become, you know, better relationship builders with 
each other and with their students. And so I decided to start my own consulting and training program. I still wanted to teach, but in this case, it was working with companies to help them build stronger communications between uh, leaders and employees and, and team members. And that's really been what I have focused on over the last 30 some years. And in the last 30 years, I've worked with my two business partners. Uh, we came together because of common um, topics that we were interested in. And one is my the up, our operations person, legal and financial. And my business partner, Denny, and I do more writing and um, working on products that help people be more effective communicators, because that's really been our theme over the years. And I'm sure that's one reason why I connected so strongly with your purpose and message uh, with your sidewalk talks, because we have always been about connecting with others and trying new things. In 94, we released our first software product. We had never uh, considered doing that initially until we found we needed a tool with our clients and realized it was a, a type of survey tool for individual 360 feedback so people could better understand their strengths and where they needed to improve from the people around them. And so when we developed that tool and used it with our clients, we realized, gosh, a lot of other people need this. So we made a, a shift to being a full-time, a software company. We don't do consulting anymore. And so for the last almost 30 years now, that's been our focus. And one of the things I'm most proud of is many of our clients have worked with us for over 20 years. So we are not a transactional oriented company. We want to serve people in a way that when they experience us, they want to come back for more because we make them feel valued and important. And to me, that's so much of what you're doing with your sidewalk talk is how to help the folks who are setting up these um, chairs and having these conversations and just listening is a way of conveying to others they're important to you. And so what we do in our business with the books we've written and the products we have all have as a common theme, helping people connect more effectively, communicating effectively, um, oh, just understanding how important it is to acknowledge others and help them feel valued. Because that is one of the biggest investments we can make in relationships. Wow. So, I, I mean, I'm really hearing that, A, teaching connection is in your bones and that you found a way to do it that still brings enough excitement and novelty and not doing the same lesson plan. Yes. And you've been doing this for a while. And what I, I just had this curiosity pop up in me as I was listening to you. I'm curious to know... What has changed? Because I imagine when you first started developing your software and first started writing books and teaching people how to connect, there was one set of challenges 25 years ago. 
And I'm curious, have those challenges changed or evolved? Are there different challenges we're facing in our connection capacities today that you're finding? Wow. Uh, yes, actually, that's such a great question. Um, when I think back, you know, 30 years ago, uh, there were no, there was no internet. There were no tools like right. smartphones. And so you didn't have some of the distractions that, you know, we have today and the impact that those have had on people connecting and communicating is, I think sometimes people rely too much on texting, on email, um, rather than, you know, a, a human conversations. And so that to me has been a change. And I think that folks who've grown up with that, the younger people, I think, are, are sometimes, I, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but sometimes they are less, less adept. They don't have as deeply evolved skills with connecting face-to-face -face with others. And so that's why I think, you know, even though we've been at this business for so many years now, we're as excited as we've ever been about what we bring to the table because we know that they're there's a crying need. There always has been, Tracy. One of the things that has not changed is because I used to hear this in my consulting work, you know, over 30 years ago, the number one issue then was communication at work. And it's still the number one thing that comes up in, in employee engagement surveys. So that's something that has remained constant is the challenge people have in connecting effectively with their boss, with their coworkers, with other people at work with whom they need to interact to get their work done. And so in some ways over time, some of those interaction skills have gotten worse because of the reliance on electronic messaging. Yeah, it sounds like there's more demand for you now than there was even back then because we're not as adept at communications. We don't, we're, we're hiding out. <laughs> we're hiding out. I mean, I hide out behind email sometimes, right? Yes. Um, well, and so how do you show up in your boss's office and say, hey, I need a raise, right? Uh, or whatever that hard conversation is, if you're so used to hiding out behind a device. Well, you know, the other thing, Tracy, is our educational system still does not teach these interpersonal skills. You know, it didn't when I was growing up, it probably didn't when you were growing up. And I don't know of any schools, and there may be a few, that really build in this curriculum around interpersonal skills. And so people pick up what they can from their home environments. And some parents do a great job. Others aren't such good role models. And so this idea of how do you address when you have a difference with someone else so that you don't you know, fall into arguments and other non-productive kinds of interactions that don't serve either of you well. So one of our key goals really is to help alleviate the unnecessary pain that often exists in workplaces. I mean, I experienced it myself with certain bosses that I, I just had difficulty with. And back then, I didn't really have the skills. I hadn't learned them. And at our home, you know, there really wasn't a lot of conflict. And so there was, I didn't learn the appropriate skills for addressing differences, for giving feedback. 
things that people need to do in order to work effectively. But you know what happens, I see, is people can get um, kind of obsessed with thinking of someone that's really bothering them at work. And that person occupies a lot of mental space and a lot of emotional energy in the course of that person's day. And if we could learn how to, you know, manage our own thoughts and and start looking at what are my beliefs? What are the thoughts that are driving me concluding this about this other person that isn't serving me very well right now in getting these things done? That's another whole area that I think our educational system falls short. We don't teach that self-awareness that's so important in responding appropriately to specific situations. Yeah, no, I'm really, as a parent to two little boys, I it really rings true for me that there's, I went to a private school, which was different, and I felt like they did do a decent job. It was part of our way of being, but but they, different for sure. So when you were talking, I was almost thinking, gosh, Meredith actually has to reparent people in a way. <laughs> teach them a lot of skills that would have been nice had they learned them at home. Uh, But now they're having to learn them in the workplace because they never learned them at home. So in a way, you know, we're growing people up in the workplace by teaching them how to get along with others, how to share, how to not take things personally, how to not get possessive, how not to always have to be the best and leave everybody else in the dust. And, you know, all those kind of playground tactics that maybe we still haven't you know, fully recovered from in a way. Yes. And, you know, one of the key things that I can say that may be useful to um, your listeners is around taking things personally. When um, Denny Coates and I first started working together, he had a PhD in English. He was, you know, had been very successful in his army career and then as a consultant. And I held him in very high regard and rightly so. Uh, but I found that if he pointed out something that I could have done better or could have done differently, I tended to get defensive. I tended to want to justify and, you know, stand up for myself. And it's been interesting to watch my own evolution over the years as he and I have now worked together for 30 years. And there's a very deep love and respect for each other that comes with you know, that many years of of working closely in a business. And what I do now, it the attitude is so different. It's welcoming because I know that there's this foundational caring about me and my well-being. So it isn't an attack on me. It's simply information that I can now use to think differently or approach something differently. You know, as recently as yesterday, I was working on this article and I had an idea of what it would would be like. And he um, very nicely said, well, here's an approach I think would be better. And he laid it out and it made perfect sense. So instead of trying to, you know, argue my position, I immediately saw the wisdom in what he was presenting and, and adopted it and said, that's great. I really appreciate your input on that. And I think that there are so many situations where when we don't have that level of trust established, 
that it's easy for us to get into a reactive mode and want to respond defensively and defend and justify instead of pausing and actually thanking the person for sharing that with us. And then asking questions. And that's one of the things I love so much about your sidewalk talks is this whole focus on, you know, asking questions that make it safe for people to open up and share what's important to them. And that's one of the things that I think that, you know, in conversations that I have with people that I've met, let's say on, you know, LinkedIn through social media or whatever kind of introduction is taking a genuine interest in who they are and, you know, where they're coming from, what they need, that keeping an open mind and a willingness to receive and hear and not feel that I have to get caught up in my thoughts or judging or, you know, responding in some way is just being there with them and acknowledging their presence, acknowledging their value, simply by listening. And that's one of the reasons I love this project that you've taken on, because it's a way for people to be heard and feel valued. So I want to understand something in what you just said. When I was hearing you talk about your relationship with Denny and how it's evolved over the years, what I heard you say is part of what allowed you to shed some of your defensiveness was the trust that you and he developed over time. So I was curious, what was it that created that safety between you and Denny that you're now saying, ah, it would be really good if we had this kind of safety in the workplace. And like you said, that sidewalk is certainly, sidewalk talk is certainly trying to foster, Mm -hmm. but this is where your expertise is. Like, What are the ingredients that all of us could engage in actively and the micro skills and the macro skills? Well, I think more of that. Yeah, the first one would simply be to take a look at your own attitude. Because for me, it was recognizing, and this was just part of my own personal growth, was recognizing, you know, this is just information. It's sort of like, you know, taking on the role of a scientist, you know, imagine yourself putting on a lab coat and you're running an experiment and you get this data back and the data doesn't match what your original hypothesis was. But a scientist doesn't take that personally and say, oh, no, (laughs) it's part of the experiment. And so I think I've taken a lighter attitude about people's response to me, and this is especially true for people like me that were, you know, had this uh, original attitude of, well, I need to be liked, or I want to be accepted. And therefore, if somebody disapproves of something I've written or something I've said, that's a judgment about me. So part of it is changing our own perspective about ourselves, and what we hear about from others, so that we can perceive it in a more neutral position, rather than seeing it as either positive or negative. This is helpful information that I can use in looking at what I should do next. So I think that's a core piece. And then another aspect of that, if you come at it neutrally, then you're able to 
um, adopt a curious attitude, which entails asking questions to learn more about what the person means. Because I can I can't even tell you how many times I have assumed someone meant something by what they said, and as we talk further, I discover that was not what they meant at all. I was interpreting it incorrectly, and so. In staying in that neutral zone, if you will, so that you then are able to ask questions to explore further what someone meant. So you might say something like, you know, gosh, it, it sounds like you don't like, you know, what I've written here. Could you tell me a little bit more about what is it you think I could do to make it better? So that you're inviting additional input instead of reacting with something like, well, what's wrong with it? Why do you say that? You know, it pushes people away when we react defensively and with a tone that says, I don't like what you just did. So it makes it, you know, it's a safety both ways. It makes it safe for the other person to continue being honest with us if they see that we're not going to react with anger or judgment or defensiveness, and instead invite them to tell us more. And so to be able to come out with something that says, oh, that's interesting, that's always a safe thing to say, because interesting is a very non-judgmental kind of word. That's interesting. I'm curious what caused you to conclude that or what led you to um, decide that that's what you'd like to do rather than jumping in and saying, I don't agree, or I don't like the way you're doing that, or something that is more of an attack. So I think those two things are really important. The attitude that I bring that's neutral, and then the curiosity that I bring that invites more um, input, more dialogue, to learn more about what's behind this person's thinking so that I better understand them, where they're coming from, and what they're really trying to communicate to me, so that I don't take it. Uh, and, and what it does then is it opens up the conversation for greater um, greater honesty with each other, so that you really learn what is it this person might need from me or want from me at this moment. Yeah. I really appreciate and, and, and on the same page with everything you said and there was something that really struck me which was I've heard the word that's interesting before and you use this beautiful tone of voice where there wasn't any judgment right this thing about neutrality and curiosity can be feigned like I can see people trying on the behaviors but they haven't quite achieved them like they intellectually know oh I'm going to be neutral but you can kind of still hear that lilt in their voice. Yeah, I'm really curious, <laughs> you know? And you're like, oh, you don't look curious. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, what is the how in your mind to getting this stuff to stick where people really get it in their bones and it doesn't just feel like this intellectual yeah. you know, Instagram post that made them feel good for five seconds, but they never really put it into practice. Do you know what I mean? oh, Tracy, this is so cool because you're giving me an opportunity to share a key question that I learned from a book called uh, The Prosperous Coach um, by Rich Litvin and Steve Chandler. And there was a 
a, a sentence in that book that jumped out at me that I've carried with me ever since. And this has been, I don't know, seven, eight or more years ago. And the question is related to exactly what you said. It's a way of thinking about this conversation you're getting ready to have in this person in front of you. So here's the question. And this is a great question for your sidewalk talk folks. How can I serve this person so powerfully that they never forget our conversation for the rest of their lives or the rest of their life with one person? Well, that's a mic drop statement. (laughs) And the reason to me that this was so profound, of course, is that you're not focused on yourself. You're focused on this individual who's in front of you. And if I'm going to serve that person in a powerful way so that they remember it, you know, whether it's a month from now or truly for the rest of their life, then I'm not going to be talking about myself. People don't remember as much (laughs) when we're talking, you know, describing ourselves or our products or what we do. It's more being fully present with them so that they feel our interest. So using the word serve, I think, is is one of the aspects of answering your question. How do you do this? It takes practice, for one thing, because you're really rewiring your brain for a different way of thinking, and that doesn't come overnight. If you're used to reacting with anger or defensiveness, then you're still at times going to have that impulse. But if you're consciously thinking about this in advance of having a conversation and practicing it over time, it will become the way you do things. It's true of any behavior that we want to adopt that's different than how we've been doing it. So it may feel awkward at first, which is a natural thing to have happen. That's another area of expertise that we have. And that's why we talk about people practicing these interpersonal skills over time. And with a coaching partner, uh, accountability partner, somebody can, who can be a peer coach to them to remind them of the things they want to do. So I think that's a key aspect of answering your question is to focus on serving that other person even if it's something, it doesn't matter who it is uh, or what your you know past relationship has been or with a stranger. If you think about how can I be present for them in a way that really serves them, it, it just makes a huge difference in the way the whole interaction goes. Yeah, I really like that word. It reminds me of another word that I've been playing around with from another teacher, just the word hospitality as well, just the word serve and hospitality and host and gather, all these words seem to be about invitation and about centering the other person is what I hear you saying. But I also like, Meredith, that you're really saying, hey guys, it's okay that it's hard. It it actually takes practice. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It isn't going to be something that you just hear me say once. This is why it's important to have an accountability partner and somebody that you're practicing this with so that you can rewire your brain, which I, I really appreciate you highlighting that because I think sometimes we think that we should just get it as soon as our brain knows it, but 
it's like the whole rest of us has to get it too. No, you know, Tracy, there's this, you know, physical connection that happens in the brain where the neurons form this pathway. So when you think about trying to change how we do something, you know, whether it's playing a sport, a musical instrument, you know, a different way of eating or how we interact with others, the brain has to form these connections that take us from the equivalent of a dirt, you know, bumpy road to a superhighway. And you just thinking of the physical construction that happens when building a road, excuse me, a similar thing has to happen in the brain where you're laying down these pathways and you've got competing pathways for a while as you're trying to lay down these uh, new ones and make those the habit and the way that you do it. And so Denny and I wrote this uh, book called um, Connect With Your Team, Mastering the Top 10 Communication Skills. And after we put that out, we realized, you know, it's not easy to improve your communication skills on your own. And so he just recently finished and we published a book called Peer Coaching Made Simple with the idea that people who are studying these communication skills can ask someone to be a peer coach to them. And maybe they both are working on those skills. They can both be peer coaches to each other to support each other as they're working on improving these communication skills. So within that peer coaching, you've got accountability, you've got how to listen to the person, how to provide them with feedback, how to encourage them so that as they have setbacks or as they stumble, as they're trying to learn this new skill, the coach is able to provide encouragement that's truly useful. And I'd like to just share this also with your listeners for a moment. The idea of encouraging, we sometimes have the wrong understanding of what really that means. Sometimes we think it means minimizing the situation, you know, and telling the person, oh, it's not so bad if we notice someone is discouraged or trying to just, you know, help them get past it. And the reality is there there are four things you can do a combination of these four. The first is is to notice someone's discouraged and invite them to open up. You know, you don't look like yourself today. You're not your normal cheerful self. What's going on? Just to ask and invite them. If they say, oh, nothing, say, well, your tone of voice is, is not saying everything's okay. So I'm here if you'd like to talk about it. And then when they start talking, if you, if this is somebody you know, and you're aware of past situations where they have successfully worked through a problem, you can remind them of other times they've handled tough situations and prevailed because they lose that that perspective when they're really down. And the other thing you can do is also help them see a different kind of perspective, not just about themselves and their capabilities, but the situation. Because no matter what they're facing, there are upsides, there are positives that they've lost sight of because they're so embroiled in the downsides, in the negatives. And so getting them to have perspective about themselves and about the situation. And then the fourth thing is letting them know you're there to support them. And you can simply ask things like, how could I best support you right now? You know, what do you need from me right now? 
so that they know you're not there trying to give them a quick, easy solution, but that you are there to be an, a listening ear and be available to help them if there's something that you can do that would be of, of value to them in that moment. Mm, I think that was such an important thing to cover because I think you're right. I think this idea of encouragement, I do think we do try to move people off of their bad mood Mm -hmm. and it ends up feeling like it really misses somebody, right? And has them feeling kind of dropped. And what I hear you saying is there's a way to sort of be of support that isn't about joining the dark place with them but that's about being kind of a beacon in the dark place, right? Yes. When you say, hey, tell me more, right? I'm here. I'm, I'm, a, I'm available to hear more. I'm not trying to just get you out of this dark place. And let me remind you of your strengths. Let me remind you that you're capable. So it's not like I'm giving you the answer. You're really empowering the person, Exactly. You're not saying, I'm smarter than you. Let me tell you what to do. It's like, no, let me remind you of all these other times you were really smart and handled this. Mm-hmm. You got this. And then, you know, potentially offering them a different perspective where they might be kind of an Eeyore about the situation and say, well, it could be that, or it could be that you're just getting ready to get a promotion, which is why you haven't heard from them because they're putting your new package together. You know, just, that's a kind of an extreme one, but I appreciate that. And I always, I'm, somebody that seeks out, I'm never one of those gals that when I'm having a hard time with someone, I seek out someone that'll take my side. I'm always wanting a different perspective. Like, what am I missing about this here? And Mm -hmm. these are all things that are different. I'm so glad you brought them up because they're not what I would think would fall under the umbrella of encouraging, but they are encouraging because they're not minimizing the person's pain. They're not trying to get them out of their bad mood. And they're really saying, I believe in you. Yes. I love that. Yes. And, and you know, just hearing you, you talk about it, Tracy, it's because I think in the past, you know, I have felt like, oh, I need to provide a solution, you know, to this situation. And I'll give you a real example. This was my daughter is now 36, 20 years ago when she was in high school. She was babysitting some neighbor neighborhood kids to earn some babysitting money. And she came home one afternoon really upset because of something that had happened with one of the kids. And I was listening to her, but with my business solutions hat on, right? And so I ended up interrupting her um, and jumping in and, you know, saying, I, in other words, I violated everything I teach <laughs> because... I loved my daughter and I didn't want to see her suffer. And I thought she was suffering and I needed to rescue her. And so I was jumping in and, and to her credit and the strength of the relationship we had, she finally said, mom, I already handled this. I just needed you to listen. And you see, I'm telling you this story 20 years later because it just pierced my heart to think that I was causing her more pain instead of being what she really wanted and needed at that moment. And I think that, you know, that's something we, as parents, as friends, you know, as colleagues need to guard against uh, a tendency for those of us that tend to have a helping spirit, you know, anyway, 
that it's easy to get sucked into this wanting to solve a person's problem to alleviate their pain. And so when we see someone who's in a discouraged state and we think about what can we do to encourage them, this going through these four elements that I was describing are are what we need to rewire our brains to actually do, because that's what will serve the person most powerfully compared to trying to offer them a solution or minimizing what they're going through or encouraging them to move fast it fast quickly or making them feel guilty by saying things like, well, you shouldn't feel that way. You've got so much going for you. And it's denying where they are in that moment. And I think this skill of empathy where we can truly you know, understand and uh, and appreciate and be compassionate with folks, and and let them know we're walking alongside them and not trying to carry them or push them away, mm-hmm. but to to be there with them. Yeah, I thought it was so beautiful this connection that you just made. I I'd like to pick on helperness a lot, but you said something that's kind of fresh for me. You said sometimes our helperness can add to someone's suffering. Boy, I yeah. think that's 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 one we really need to write down or remember. Sometimes our helping our helperness can actually add to someone's suffering. I think that's really, really well said. Mm-hmm. Hey Meredith, tell us the name of your your books again so that folks that are sure. listening can remember and go out and, and look for them. And we'll be sure and put them in the show notes, folks. Oh, you can take a look as they're recent they're recent books and it's 30 years worth of knowledge in one place. Yes, they just came out this year. Um, the first one is connect with your team, mastering the top 10 communication skills. And that one I co-authored with Denny Coates, uh, my business partner. And then he published, uh, we published one for him just gosh, in the last couple of weeks called peer coaching made simple. And it's a very short, accessible book to um, just understand how to be a a good support person for somebody that's working on making some change or improvement in their lives. So you Mm -hmm. can be there in the best supportive way possible. Great. I'm so excited to be able to share those with our audience. And they're both on Amazon. Great. So I shared with you that we have this ritual that we do at the end of our conversations where I really step out of the way and invite you to speak directly to our listeners around the world who are committed and devoted really to a practice of cultivating empathy. Either a wish or words of wisdom to them. Yes, I would like to share a little bit about appreciation because it's one of the great needs that we all have as human beings, I, I make a point for to look for things about someone else that I genuinely appreciate in the moment. And for example, even when I go to the grocery store, if the cashier has been especially efficient, you know, I'll just look at her and smile and say, thank you for being so efficient. I really appreciate it. Just so that they are acknowledged in some way. And all of us crave this. And I'll give you another example on the opposite extreme. This I was at a conference and it was a conference I attended on a regular basis. The gentleman who put on this conference 
it was an organization for entrepreneurs to help us grow our businesses. And his name is Bill Glazer. He's, you know, at the time, and today he still is, um, you know, a millionaire multi times over. But when I would attend his conferences, I always made a point of going up and telling him something I really appreciated about it, either a speaker or just the way certain things had been organized. And at one of these times, I went up to him and he said, Meredith, I wish I could get you to call me every day. You're such a positive person. And you wouldn't think that someone who had achieved his level of success in life would need that. But the truth is, we all need it. Every single person, no matter how how you measure their success, whether it's, it's you know money or their position or any other metric that you use, we all have this need to be acknowledged and appreciated and valued. And so I would just encourage them for every person who ever stops by to, you know, get in a conversation with them in these sidewalk talks or anyone else they encounter, whether it's a family member, a close friend, whoever it is, how can I let this person know how much I appreciate who they are in the world? Whether it's something specific that they've done or a specific character that trait they have, um, it it's just so enriching to their life to be able to feel someone who is willing to notice and say something about it. Beautiful. Meredith Bell, thank you so much for joining us and for offering us that reminder to look and actually act upon our appreciations when we encounter people. Beautiful way to end our conversation. And for everyone, please check the show notes and check out Meredith and Denny's books. And thanks again, Meredith, for being here. Oh, thank you, Tracy. It's been my honor to be with you. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.